multiplied to you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is such an honor and a blessing to stand before you on uh, this Lord's Day. Uh, grateful to be here with my with my good friend friends, uh, Sister Goble and also Pastor Goble and uh, and just uh, the camaraderie and friendship that he has given. I'm not a stranger to this place. This is uh, the second time I've had an opportunity to come up here and stand before you, and uh, neither is. Uh, Pastor Gobo, a stranger to Watson Memorial Baptist Churches, who's preached uh, a couple of times, maybe several times for some events that we've had. Uh, our relationship goes back uh, years. So thankful again for his, uh, for his friendship. And we pray uh, for you uh, here at Burton Memorial, uh, at Watson Memorial. We're thankful uh, for the gospel light that is shining forth uh, from this church. May God just continue uh, to bless you. Uh, just allow me to uh, just acknowledge um, my wife who is here with me, uh, Chandra, and also, again, to say happy birthday. Her birthday was on yesterday, and so uh, we were able to, we were able to celebrate much like we always celebrate, and that is by doing things ministry-wise. <laughs> and so here we are, uh, and she has been uh, with me ever since. So I'm thankful uh, for her, my two children, Tora and uh, mercy that are here uh, with me as well. Uh, just grateful. I've been given an assignment uh, from your pastor, which was to preach uh, on the family, and I want to obey. I want to be obedient to uh, the task that he has given me. And so I want to just encourage you uh, on this morning to turn with me to the book of Exodus. Uh, the book of Exodus, and this is Exodus chapter uh, 12, is what I want to read from. Exodus chapter 12. And I want to read in your hearing, beginning in verse number 23, Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse number 23. If you could, I'm just going to ask you just one time to do something for me, uh, and that, that, that's it. The only favor I will ask is that if you could make me feel right at home by standing uh, for the reading of God's word, I would appreciate it. Stand if you can. If you can't, I do understand. Uh, Exodus chapter 12, and just beginning in verse number 23, I want to read in your hearing down in the verse 27. This is what the word of God says to the people of God. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. When you enter into the land which the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall observe this right. When your children say to you, what does this right mean to you? You shall say, it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians but spared our homes and the people bowed low and worshiped. Verse 25, once again, when you enter the land which the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall observe this right. I want to use for a subject on this morning, parental guidance necessary. Parental guidance necessary. You may have your seat in the presence of our good, great, and our gracious God. Lord, we do magnify you. We thank you for the privilege that you've given us uh, to open up the word of God, Lord, we ask that you would be with us in a very peculiar way now as we have climbed up and have been led up by way of the ministry of music to this moment where we hear the word of God proclaimed. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would be with us 
uh, in a very unique way by the power and presence of God the Holy Spirit. I'm asking that you would be with your sheep in this moment, that you would uh, give them ears to hear the word of God, that you would give them hearts that are receptive uh, to the truth of God's word, and that having heard the word of God and having received it in their heart, that it would move to the extremities, to their hands, and to the feet of us, and that we will begin to live out what it is that we hear on this morning. God, I'm asking that you would be with me in a, in a unique way as well. You know all of my weaknesses. You know my frailties, all of my flaws and my faults and my failings, Lord. I, I pray, Father, that you would work through those things, uh, that you would go and work around those things, and that you would help me, Father, to uh, proclaim faithfully what we have just read on this morning. I'm asking, Lord, that you would help me uh, to get the text right uh, because the only way that the sheep can be sanctified is by the truth of God. Your word indeed is truth. The sum total of your word, says the psalmist, is truth. And so, Father, we need it proclaimed accurately that we may be sanctified by it. And God, we ask these blessings. We ask these blessings in the mighty and matchless name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has given us access to the very throne room of God to receive help in our time of need. And we do need you now. We need you, Father. We need the Spirit, again, uh, to illuminate the words of the text to our hearts. May you receive the glory in advance for all of these things uh, that you will grant in your kindness and in your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Parental guidance uh, necessary. One of the great philosophers of recent history, I would say within the last two decades, I'm certain that you are familiar with him, has made a statement that has uh, really been etched in our minds, almost written down in stone. It is a statement that was made by uh, perhaps one of the greatest philosophers to ever uh, grace our planet, a man by the name of Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump, Dr. Gump, stated that life was like a box of chocolates, that you never know what you're going to get. And I would argue uh, against that sentiment by Dr. Gump, as intellectual as he might be, uh, that life is, particularly the Christian life, is not like a box of chocolates and you never know what you're going to get, but it's more of an observatory, that as we observe uh, that we know exactly what it is uh, that we are getting. The Christian faith is an observation. For the moment that you say that you are a Christian, people began to watch your life. That at the very time that you say that you are a Christian, it almost seems as though no one pays us any attention until we side with Christ and inform a watching world that indeed we are saved and that we are on God's side. From the moment that we make that statement, brothers and sisters, it seems that our lives at that particular point in time becomes an observatory, and the world begins to watch our lives. Surely this is the case as it pertains to parents, that children are a lot like tape recorders, except they use their eyes to record events. That as we are striving as, as Christians to, to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, that we have eyes that are watching us, and we have minds that are receiving the information and is recording this information in their minds. They, they are really observing our witness when we state that we are believers. 
And that's what we have come to here in the book of Exodus. We, we see that the Christian life is like an observatory. It is like an exercise in observation. The context of Revelation chapter 12 is one of redemption. I'm certain that many of us, if not all of us in here, are familiar uh, with Exodus chapter 12. We are familiar with the fact that, that this is God against the false gods of, of Egypt. And, and God has gone through uh, Egypt and he has knocked down all of the gods that are in Egypt to which people were pledging their allegiance and giving false worship. God has, has done a mighty and miraculous thing uh, at, from the context of our text where we stand on today. For you see, brothers and sisters, God has sent through uh, the, the, the land of Egypt a destroying angel that has destroyed all of those that were not on his side or were not found in obedience by having the blood over their door and on the sides of their door and being found in that place of safety. But to all of those that, that are inside of that place of safety, God has redeemed them. That is the context of our text on this morning. It was no doubt a redemptive context that we have here. Redemption uh, was to give way to celebration now. But it was not redemption that was to give way to celebration immediately only. It was redemption that was to give way to celebration permanently. We see this because as we look at the context of our text in verse number 14, uh, we see here that the Word of God tells us, Now this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. We see down in verse number 17 that the Word of God states, You shall also observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations, listen to this, as a permanent ordinance. That is the context. That is the context. Now as we arrive at verses 23 through 27, we see uh, that this day, this, this day of memorial, that, that this day, this permanent ordinance which was to be celebrated permanently as an ordinance from God, it is now, it, it, it is now, it's come time for uh, the children of Israel to, to begin to live out this particular memorial and celebration. As the parents observed this day, as the parents observed this right, as they worshipped, as they worshipped, year after year, they gave to the children a sight to behold as they observed their lives, but not just a sight to behold, they gave them a lesson which the children needed to learn. And I want to, I, I want to, to give to you this morning. I want to give to you two parental duties. Now that the parents have become a spectacle to their children of worship, I want to give you two parental duties to help us make an impact for God in the lives of our children. Two parental duties that will help us make an impact 
in the lives of our children for God in the lives of our children. Now you may be saying, I don't have any children. You may be a parental figure. This lesson still applies. You may be a, a caregiver. You may be a big cousin. You may be an be a uncle or, uh, or a, a auntie or a grandparent or whatever the case may be. You, you may have a, some kind of Christian influence which you exercise over children. This, this lesson, this, this, this sermon, this text is important for all of those that name the name of Christ that has a sway over the children that God has entrusted to us. And here is what the text teaches us on this morning. It teaches us to let the observation of the children lead to the explanation of the gospel. That as, that as the children are, are watching us, that there should be such a devotion to God and the things of God and the worship of God that it leads to an investigation by the children and an explanation from the parents regarding the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here is my hope. I'm, I don't have any authority to save anyone. Salvation is not mine. In fact, Psalm chapter 3 verses 8 tells us that salvation is of the Lord. And then the psalmist says, your blessing be upon your people. I know that God is sovereign in salvation. But here is what my prayer for you is, is as we walk through this text. That, that the observation that leads to explanation in the lives of your children children will ultimately lead to their salvation. That that is the hope. That this text moves from observation to explanation. Two parental duties. The first duty that we have in our text is found from verse 23 to 25. And here is the first duty. Let the children observe worship. Let the children observe worship. Notice verse number 23 in our text. It says, for the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the destroyer and will not allow the destroyer to come in to your houses to smite you. One of the most infamous stories in all of Scripture, and there are a lot of infamous stories in Scripture. Who can forget Noah and the ark? Who can forget Samson and his, his superhuman strength? Who can forget David bringing down a giant with, with one rock? This, 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 this account fits into the infamous nature of all of those stories. And, and we, are, we are here now in this text as God has, has gone through the, the Lord, the text says, has gone through Egypt. And he has saved those that had the blood on the doorpost. And the text says, smite. He destroyed those that, that were found unfaithful and, not, and, and, and failing to be obedient to the command that he had given them. We are at a place. We are at a place in Exodus chapter 12 where an act of rescue is and has led to the act of redemption, that, that God has rescued them. And, and that very act has led now to this, to this act of redemption. Notice 
what the text says, the Lord will pass through. Top of verse number 23. Bottom of verse number 23. Look at this. It says at the bottom of verse number 23, the Lord will pass over. Do you see that in the text? That the Lord at the top will pass through. And then we see that the Lord will pass over. And, and when it says in verse 23 that the Lord will pass over, notice the designation and the description of the Lord in verse number 23. It calls the Lord the destroyer. How can that be? How, how can it be that the Lord is the one that will pass through Egypt? And at the same time, we see that the Lord is also the destroyer. Jude verse 5, I believe, tells us who the destroyer is. In Jude verse 5, you read it when you get home. But I believe that the destroyer is no one other than the Lord Jesus Christ based on verse 5 of Jude. That it is Christ that, that, has, that has come through the land of Egypt as the angel of the Lord in order to destroy those that, that have failed to be obedient to the commandments of God, that has failed to be obedient to what God has required of them in order for them to be found, in order to be, in order for them to be found in safety. Let me ask you this question this morning. What are we saved from? I mean, if I ask that question, and I do oftentimes, uh, sitting in counseling sessions, I, I want to know if I'm dealing if, I, if I'm conversing with, with saved people, because you can't always assume in the church, Pastor Goble, that you're dealing with, with saved people. So I want to know, what was your conversion experience? Are you saved? What were you saved from? And it's interesting, the answers that you get to that question. When you ask about conversion experience, when you ask about salvation, you'll get stories such as, the, I know that I'm saved because... I was in a car accident 20 years ago, and the Lord brought me out of that. Yo, yo, hear stories like I, I was on my hospital bed, and, and, and I was, there was cancer that was racking my body, and, and the Lord brought me out off of the hospital bed. Listen, all of those things are, are well and good, and I do believe that the Lord in his kindness and grace brought you out of the car accident and, and brought and pulled you off of the hospital bed, but, but that's not the question on the table when we ask about salvation. What is it that we are saved from? Perhaps it is better responded to by R.C. Sproul that stated that it is not the what, but it is who we are saved from, and it is God. Notice that the text says that the Lord was passing over and the Lord was also the destroying angel. I believe that there are at least two attributes of God that we need to mark in this text. The first is the holiness of God. The, the holiness of God is that attribute which tells us that God is not a God that winks or that smiles or giggles or laughs at sin. That when it comes to the holiness of God, that, that God is pure and undefiled, unblemished and unstained when it comes to sin. But not only does the destroying angel tell us of the holiness of God, but I believe that in the text we learn something about the omnipresence of God, that, that God is not only somehow mysteriously, he's not only on the outside of the door, but, but God is also on the inside of the blood-stained door, barring his own wrath from coming in and reaping and ravishing the people that are on the inside. 
it is, it is a mystery to me how, how God is, is on outside and, and inside. Outside, he, he comes through as the destroying. And inside, he's barring his wrath. What, who are we saved from? It is God. It's, it's a lesson that we learn early in the Torah, do we not? Genesis chapter 22, you remember that story. Abraham is marching with his son Isaac up the mountain. And Isaac sees that his dad marching him up has everything that he needs except the sacrifice. He has the wood, does he not? And Isaac sees that, that, that there is the wood, dad. And there is the fire, but where is the sacrifice? And you know what Abraham told his son Isaac as they were marching up the mountain without the sacrifice? Here is what Abraham said. Abraham said this, God will provide, listen, for who? Himself a sacrifice. That the wrath that was to be stayed on Isaac's life was really God saving Isaac from God. God would provide the sacrifice for himself. That God would provide the lamb for himself. It's clear that God was saving his people from himself. Salvation from destruction. This is, I know, I know you're, I was told to preach a sermon on parenting. This is a sermon on parenting. Salvation from destruction is the it's the very grounds it is the very motivation for all of our worship salvation from destruction is the very grounds the fact that we have been delivered is the reason why worship is not laborious the, the, that we have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness is the reason why worship is not a drab. It is not dreary. It, the, the fact that we have been delivered from our sins and our transgressions is what gives to us the motivation to give God what God so rightfully deserves. And I, I, I stopped by to tell you on this morning, if there's any other motivation that you have, uh, apart from the fact that Jesus Christ has saved you, it is only so long and so far that you can go without that motivation get up in the morning and come to the Lord's day even when it's cold outside or when it's snowing or when it's raining there has to be a deeper motivation when when my body is aching and it's racked with pain there has to be a deeper motivation what is the motivation that moves us to worship it is the grounds of the it is the grounds that has been laid by the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ that Jesus stood in my place as my mediator as my substitute and he bore the wrath of God that should have been poured out on me and so the least I could do is to get up and worship God it's the least I could do because of all that he has done for me Notice this in verse 24. Observe this. Observe this. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. Verse 25. When you enter the land which the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall observe this right. Do you see it there in the text? Do you see the observation in the text? That the Christian life is an observatory. The grounds 
for the observation of the right is the blood that was shed. That is the motivation. And the observation is something that ought to be constant and continual. It ought to be unceasing. There ought to be a dedication and a devotion. I love this. I read a, a blog recently, and the, and the title of the blog was probably, uh, it, it was one of those titles that just overshadowed the entire message of the blog, and, and, and the title of the blog was Make Church the Reason Why You Miss Everything Else. Oh, man, I read that. I said, the title itself, the title itself is gold, the, the worship of God ought to be the reason why everything else is second place. That, that I have a standing reservation with the king of heaven, and I cannot miss it. I cannot miss it. It's continual. It is constant. It is, listen, it is before the children. It is before the children. It is not for the children. But certainly it is done before the watching eyes of the children. The Christian life is an observatory. The children are watching. Notice, secondly, secondly here, the second parental duty that I have here uh, for us is this. Teach the why of worship. Teach the why of worship. Now, now. We, we have the mandate and the motivation to worship. The salvation that God has accomplished for the people. The children of Israel have the motivation. The, the context of Exodus 12, no doubt, is a redemptive context. God has rescued them. He's rescued them with a mighty hand. It could not have been anybody or anyone else other than God that had rescued them from under the hand of the tyrant by the name of Pharaoh. Make no Make no bones about it. There is no doubt about it that, that the salvation that the children of Israel experienced, that was a God thing. That was not by their own hand. And so that is the motivation, and they are to worship from that motivation. From, from their salvation is the way I like to say it. From salvation we work. From salvation we, we worship God. We don't, we don't have justification and sanctification mixed up. We, we, we know that justification comes first, and, and out from justification, then comes sanctification. When you, when you take sanctification and you put it before justification, what you have is every other religion outside of Christianity. Yeah, false religion. We have been justified, therefore we work. The children of Israel had been saved from destruction, therefore they were to work. This work is, is worship. And so now that we see that they have received this ordinance from God, what, what comes after that? Well, what comes after the observation is the explanation. There's a logical connection from verse 23 through 25 with verse 26 and 27. Do you see it there? Notice this. Back in verse 24, the observation was to be done. It was for you and your children. Verse 25, we see that they were to observe this right. As they are observing this right before their children. As they are observing this right constantly, continually before their children. This leads to an investigation. When you are, when you are faithful 
to this degree. Obviously, people want to know why. Why is it that you are so faithful? Why is it that, that we can't go to the ball game at the 11 o'clock hour on the Lord's Day? Why, why is that? Why, Mom, Dad, why is it that, 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 that we can't do the things that our friends are doing at this particular time that, that you have carved out in the household for us to go and worship God. They begin to investigate your faith. And I don't believe that the investigation is always a negative thing. I believe that the investigation is a blessing. It is a blessing when the children investigate your faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ because they see you living out your faith to the Lord Jesus. I think that is a blessing. I came up in a household where I was told, don't ask questions. Right? Do it. Why? Because I said so. And, um, though I love my parents. I don't know if that was the best piece of advice that my uh, counsel, my parents could have given me. Sometimes the inquisitive nature of children is just so that they could get a reason and go on about their day. They're looking for an explanation. And so as the children are observing the children of Israel, their parents as they are observing them, uh, uh, um, worshiping as they are observing them, uh, as they keep this ordinance, as they keep this right, they have a question in the text. And notice in verse number 26 how observation leads to investigation. It says, and when your children say to you, here it is, what does this right mean to y'all? What, what does this right mean to us? But what, what does this right mean to them? No, what does this right mean to you? Oh, I love that. I love that. Because this, this is a personal faith. This, this is a, this, your relationship with the Lord, it is, it is, it is personal. That they're asking the individual we see you as an individual worshiping God. What does that mean to you? And why are they asking that? They're asking that because there is an observance of worship in the lives of their parents. And that investigation leads to the explanation. Notice here, notice in the text that the parents, that they had an explanation. They, 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 they had an explanation. The, the children wanted to know why, and, and the parents, they had an explanation. They did not have to go to the rabbi. They did not have to go to Moses to find out what it was. They did not have to search Google. They did not have to ask Siri. They did not have to call out, hey, Alexa, tell me why it is that we are observing. No, they had an explanation. They had a ready word for the children. They had a ready word for the children. It was... It was a full explanation of the gospel, by the way. Notice what the text says. You shall say, Moses tells them, you shall say, it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians but spared our homes. Notice that that is a full explanation of the gospel. That, that's not... Um, the parents are not to give 50% of the gospel. You know what I mean, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what I mean by that is um, God, God is, God is all-loving. God is all-mercy. God is all-grace. God is all-kindness. That's not the explanation that the parents were to give 
to the children. I was listening to Pastor Goldblum. He was talking about, you know, as he was talking about me, a holy boldness. And I uh, started to turn around and try to see if was there another Tucson Adams in, uh, in Burnt Memorial because, you know, some, if I'm being honest, if I'm being honest, sometimes I'm not as bold. Sometimes I could be a coward. This came, this, this, came, this came home to me one day when our children was a lot smaller than what they are now, and my wife was, uh, uh, was giving a gospel presentation to our children. And that she was giving and that she was giving them the back of presentation. She told them about the cross. She told them about the love of Jesus. Then she got down into this weird part, the wrath of God. And I'm looking, and I'm listening, and my daughter, she had four or five years old, and hearing about how God will smash the rebels, and I'm listening, and, and part of me wants to step in and say, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. There are only four. It's, a, it's cowardice. They did not want to tell the whole truth about the gospel, to tell all of it, to tell the entirety of the gospel. And as Moses is instructing the children, as Moses is instructing the parents to tell the children about what God had delivered them from, they were not to give a message that was all grace, all mercy, all love, all kindness. They were to give a message that told about the love of God and the deliverance of God, but they were to tell about the wrath of God. The wrath of God. Notice that in the text, he says, listen, he says, God passed over, the Lord passed over our houses. But notice this in the text. He says, he smoked. Now, now smoke is lost. The pastor has used, uh, or, uh, uh, or Reverend Adams has used, uh, smite and smote. And we don't live in a day and age where people say smite and smote. So let me help you with what smite and smote means. It means that he saved us and he killed the others. That's what it means. That he saved us. But he killed others. It was the whole story of the gospel. It was the whole story. And listen, listen, saints, this this is consistent with the character of God. Did you know that? This is consistent with the character of God, that God is gracious and God is merciful. But God is also a God of wrath. God is also a God of justice. He is also a God of judgment. Romans chapter 8, verses 32. Listen to this. The Apostle Paul says of God the Father and God the Son. He says, God, listen to this, God did not spare his own son. That when Jesus suffered on the cross, when the Son of God hung, bled, and died on the cross, that God was unmerciful to Jesus Christ as he bore our wrath. John said it this way, John chapter 3, verses 16, we all know it. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. Paul's did not spare is John's gave. He he gave his only son. He gave him to do what? He gave him to die. He gave him to die for sinners like you and me. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4, God did not spare the angels when they sinned. Verse number five, he did not spare the ancient world. Verse number six, he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he shook those cities down to ashes. God was relentless in his justice. He's a loving God. He's also a God of justice. 
and the gospel presentation that the parents give their children ought to always contain the kindness and the goodness of God, but also the severity of God. To sculpt an image of God that suggests he is all-loving is to carve out a false god and to have the family worship that false god. That is not the God of the Bible. We must, if we want them to be, if we want them to come to the whole Christ, to use Ferguson's word, if we want them to come to the whole Christ, we must tell them the whole story. We must tell them the whole story. We will never know, we will never know how precious the cross is until we know how vile we are. And at the same time, we cannot know the depth, the depths of God's grace until we know, until we know the reach, the scope, the magnitude of his reign. What was Christ bearing on the cross? All, all of the weight. Think about it. Jesus Jesus says in the Gospel of John, this is a, this is a statement that just, it, 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 it floors me every time I read it. Jesus says in John chapter 19, as he's hanging on the cross, he says, I thirst. Now, now, now why does that floor me? Because several chapters back, Jesus said that he was what? The living water. How can, how can water thirst? How can water become dehydrated? How can the source, the fountain of living water, thirst? Charles Spurgeon said it this way. Charles Spurgeon said, with one triumphant drought of love, Jesus drank damnation dry. And when he drank our damnation, he took upon himself our thirst to quench our thirst by giving us living water. Can we know the depths until we know the reach and the scope of his wrath? We can never understand the depths of his grace. And so the, so the parents are to tell the whole story. They, are, they, are to tell, they, they have to tell their kids in the text that God passed over our house, but he killed the Egyptians. As graphic as that, that might sound. As graphic as, they, as graphic as that might sound. That is the whole story. And before I move on, and before I move on, I just want to state this. Don't walk out of here thinking that, that what God did was unfair to the Egyptians. The reality is God was merciful to the Egyptians. They, they received the same commandment that the children of Israel received. You want to be saved? Then it, you must be saved by the blood. But what did they do? They, they trampled on the blood of God, much like people today trample on the blood of Christ. They had an opportunity to, to get it right, but they chose to take their chances with God. They had an opportunity to, to, to say, Lord, I repent, and to get inside of a blood-stained door. But you know what they said? They said, Lord, we'll, we'll take our chances with you. Got an opportunity. And so at the end of the day, what happened to the Egyptians was they got, they didn't receive mercy 
they got what they deserve. And if God gives us what we deserve, all of us, we all go to hell. Did you know that? If God was to give us what we deserve, if God was to give everyone in this room what they deserve, we all go to hell. That's God's fairness. No, we don't want fairness. We want mercy. Notice after the explanation, notice after the explanation and we'll be through. After the explanation, it says, I love this, and the people bowed low and worshiped. You see that in the text? The, after the explanation, the people bowed low and they worshiped. Now we have a, a working knowledge of salvation. And the working knowledge of salvation brings the people to worship. I believe that's what the knowledge of salvation does. I believe the knowledge of salvation and, and, and the personal knowledge of, of God saving me. If you could say this morning that God has saved me. I see that you're, that, uh, you're about to participate in the Lord's table. The Lord's table is God saved as you take the elements. It is a, it is a statement. It is a visual sermon. God saved me. And you're preaching that individual sermon to everyone around you. It is a, it is a message. God, God personally has delivered me, which is the reason why I take the bread and I drink up the cup. It's for me personally. And that knowledge of salvation, it leads, it leads to worship. So after they had received the knowledge of salvation in the text, what they did was they bowed low and they worshiped. They bowed low and they worshiped. The Passover was a preview. It was a preview. It, it, it awaited the fulfillment and the full manifestation of the light of the gospel. That the little light, which was the Passover, was awaiting the great light. It was, it was awaiting the culmination and the climax, not in the Passover, but in the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ. When, when the day broke, Christ would come and the light would shine. The, the gospel writer, the apostle John said this, in Christ, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. In Christ. I'm through, but let me tell you, there's a story before I get ready to go. I remember that uh, when I was little, they had, they still have them today, those uh, little bubblegum machines that uh, you're walking out of Kroger, or you're walking out of the grocery store. I mean, they always put those things at eye level. They do that for the children uh, so the children can see them on the way out and so they can ask you, Mom, Dad, do you have a quarter? Uh, now it's about 75 cents. You need about three quarters to get anything out of the, out of the machine. Back in the day, it was a quarter. And so you're walking past it in there. There's the machine, and I remember asking my mom or my dad for a quarter on this particular time, and there was this figurine that they had uh, inside the machine. It was just a little, little, little army man, a little figurine, and it was, it was made of like a, a gummy substance. And so, uh, you know, I got the change from my parents. I bought it, and, uh, you know, I had one of those little plastic containers that's hard to, hard to get off. The top is hard to get off, and so obviously my dad has to help me get get the top off, and it, it came with some instructions. It came with some instructions. The, the instructions 
uh, were to take this little figurine and to fill up a, a bowl with some water and put the figurine in the water. And when you put the figurine in the water, it would make this, this little thing, this little guy, would make him grow into something that could not originally fit into the container. That there was salvation not inside of the original container in which the man came in, but there was salvation in, in something else that was outside of that, of that man. There was something that made that, that little thing what it was supposed to be, what, what, what it was created to be when it was put in something outside of itself, inside of something, but outside of himself. And you say, well, what are you saying, uh, Brother Preacher, on this morning? That's, that's, just, like, that's just like God and salvation. That, that salvation, that salvation, it is, it is, it is on the outside of us, but it can only be found in someone else. That, that it's outside of us, and it can only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you this morning that that is the testimony of the saints that have gone before, that has gone before us? That those that God has saved, there, there is an overwhelming chorus that salvation can only be found outside of us, and yet inside of another place of safety? I believe that if I traveled the, the if I traveled my mental redemptive Rolodex, that, that I would find people that found salvation outside of themselves but in God. I believe that is the story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, they sinned against God, and the salvation was not found within themselves. They, they had to be clothed in the righteousness, inside of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that is the story of Noah. Noah did not find salvation outside of the ark. Out Outside of the ark, saints, all there was was death and destruction and judgment. But inside of that ark, there was safety that brought him from the waters of destruction to the shores of safety. I believe that is the testimony of the prodigal son who was outside of his father's house and found himself eating like a pig from a pig's trough, but knew that the blessing was on the inside of the house. And when it came to those that were in Egypt, they found that the salvation Salvation was not outside in Egypt, my brothers and my sisters. No, the salvation was inside of the house, inside of the bloodstained door. And can I tell you on this morning, for those that may not know the Lord on this morning, that the salvation is not within you, it is outside of you and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you get into him, if you press into him, he'll save you and he'll save you forever. And you live that out, you live that out before your children in an act of devotion as a thank you letter to the Lord for saving me. In Christ alone, we sing it, don't we? Our hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What height of love. What depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all. Here in, do you hear that? In the love of Christ, I stand. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness. Lord, you're worthy to be praised. And, and we, we know, Father, that, that as parents, that we, we blow it at times. We blow it more than we would like to admit. We know that there are inconsistencies in our lives. 
Father, I'm asking that you would be gracious to us, that you would be kind toward us, and that you would help us, Lord, to, to be more devoted in our faith. We, we, have, we have breath in our bodies. We have an opportunity to do better. And so, Father, I pray for all of us, not just, not just Burton, not just Pastor Goble. I pray for all of us in this room that we will be found more faithful, more devout in our faith, more devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that as we live out what you have called us, the ordinance of worship that you have given to us, that as our children look upon that, that they will have the questions of investigation that will lead us to give the whole story of the gospel in, in hopes that our children will come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that they will not go the way of the world. Father, let us take the faith that you have given to us, that you have entrusted to us. Let us make the most of it so that you will be glorified in our household. 